Welcome to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable with your host, Mindy Harley. Warning, listening to this podcast might cause you to shatter your limited beliefs, recognize your potential and motivate you to be the best you can be. Other side effects may include, but not limited, to grabbing life by the balls, taking no crap from anyone, becoming an unstoppable force at various aha moments to get you thinking outside the box. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable, and I'm your host, Mindy Harley, and I have with me today a very, very important person, I think, in our history uh, today. His name is Arthur Furstenberg, and he is an American author and an activist on the subject of electromagnetic radiation and health, and he's also the founder of the independent campaign group, the Cellular Phone Task Force. And his 1997 book, Microwaving Our Planet, The Environmental Impact of the Wireless Revolution, was published in 1997. And his follow-up book to that, The Invisible Rainbow, which is a book that I um, found him by, A History of Electricity and Life, is probably one of the most um, important books, I think, to date. And if anyone is familiar, would I describe this book to people when I say... um, (laughs) when I try to explain this book to people and what it's going to do for them. And a lot of people talk about um, Michael Pollan and how to change your mind and what he's done for boomers and psychedelics. Arthur Furstenberg explains to us electricity and our health in a way that is so encompassing that (laughs) many times I actually, I actually cried Arthur when I, when I read your book at um, the damage and the detriment to the environment that electricity has has been doing um, to our earth and to us humans all of these years. So I really want to thank you for being on the show today. And I really want to thank you for your time today as well, Arthur. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. Well, you know, there's there's so much. This this book was was absolutely eye-opening. Uh, for me in so many ways. Um, and I, I just want to let you know why I stumbled upon this book and why I started searching for knowledge. Was that because for the over a decade, Arthur, is that I've spent um, my life doing social media management and marketing. So at times, I've had three cellular phones on my person at all times, carrying them on my fanny pack inside inside the pouch, and I was getting awful headaches. I was getting sick. My health was, you know, there's just something not right. And I was getting immense headaches uh, all the time. And I knew there was something wrong. And I had run into uh, a woman that was selling specially protected uh, EMF protection uh, wallets and uh, everyday lifestyle bags and everything. And I went, whoa, wait a second, what's up with what's up with this? (laughs) And she started explaining it to me. And thus I went on my search for knowledge and I found you. And your story also kind of begins with affecting your health as well. And I was wondering if you could kind of um, let our readers know, our listeners know how your journey started into this. Uh, I was a medical student at the University of California, Irvine, and um, having dental work and 
complicated, problematic dental work, and I had a whole bunch of x-rays um, that did something to my head. Hmm. And suddenly, one day, and when I went back into the hospital the next day, I could feel electricity from all the electronic equipment that was in the hospital. Um, that was my introduction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it raised a question in my mind as to what this was doing to my health. <laughs> yeah. And um, I started uh, thinking about it, and, and uh, during towards the end of, of my third year of medical school, we were having surgery rotation, and I noticed that every time I assisted at a surgery, I would have crippling pains in my hips for the next three days. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> and, and when we went on to uh, plastic surgery rotation for a couple of weeks, I, my plastic surgery attending physician was somebody that I could easily talk to, and I said, uh, can I be, please be excused from the operating room? It seems to be giving me problems. And he said, I'll excuse you, write me a term paper. Essentially, he said, research paper on a topic of your choice. And so I, I took him up on that, and I chose the effects of radiant energy on living organisms. Mm-hmm. This was in December of, of 1981. They went to the library, the medical school's library, to see if there were any uh, articles I could find on it. Not only were there articles I could find it, there were books on it. Not only were there books on it, there were shelves worth of books on it. There was a whole bookshelf that had mostly articles and books and scientific studies about um, electromagnetic fields, electromagnetic radiation, and health. Yeah. And that was uh, shocking to me because we were not being taught that in medical school. Hmm. But all the knowledge was there. <laughs> all the knowledge was there. And, and so that was my first uh, research paper on the topic. Um, and uh, I, I stuck out medical school or another few months, and then one day I collapsed with all the symptoms of a heart attack. Oh, jeez. And I, in my mind, I connected that with all my exposure to... Oh, one of the things that came out in my research was that the surgical operating room is the worst-case scenario for exposure to... Um, radio waves, electromagnetic fields. Yeah. Um, and the single biggest exposure comes from electrocautery devices. Um, Electro- when they cautery. used to be once upon a time that when surgeons did surgery and they had to cut blood vessels, they tied off the two ends of the blood vessels so they wouldn't bleed. Yeah. Um, they weren't doing that anymore, except for some of the... There were a few old-timers in 
in the hospital that still did it that way, but there were these electrocautery devices that fried the ends of the blood vessels shut with radio frequency, radio frequencies. Yeah. Like a microwave oven. Yeah. Um, and so they did all surgeries by laying, with the patient laying on a metal table and the table was grounded and this electrocautery device applied radio frequency um, energy to the point on the body that it touched. So when, when the, you touch the device to the end of a, of a bleeding vessel, yeah. um, it delivers RF uh, frequencies and it fries the thing shut. And that exposes surgeons, I found out, in my reading back in 1981, to higher levels of radio frequency radiation than are permitted in any other occupation. Huh. And that kind of confirmed to me what was going on in my body after I assisted at a surgery. Anyway, a few months later, I collapsed, quit school. Um, I had gone through approximately three years. I had one, one year to go for my MD, and I decided... I was not going to go through conventional treatment. I was going to quit school and uh, not become debilitated, not have surgery, not have medication, and not die. I was convinced that another year of school might kill me. Yeah. And I left school and I moved up to Northern California, moved up to Mendocino, mm -hmm. and lived in the woods and shut off the electricity to my house every night and recovered my health completely. Yeah. Um, but that started me down the road, and I started getting in touch with some of the people whose books I had uh, come across, and whose articles I had read, and uh, I started to really educate myself. Mm -hmm. um, oh, 16, 15 years later, I was living back in New York City, 1996, um, living a relatively normal life, um, in good health. Um, and I picked up a copy of the New York Daily News one day, and it had a headline in it that said, 3,000 city lampposts are about to become part of the wireless revolution. <sighs> and... <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, I knocked on a, a friend's door, and he said, was a member of a support group that by that time I was a member of, of people who uh, realized what was happening to us. We were being injured by toxins and electromagnetic fields in our environment. Yeah. We called ourselves uh, chemically sensitive, electrically sensitive. I, I think those are horrible terms because uh, the problem is out in our environment. There's nothing wrong with us. Yeah. So I knocked on Pelda's door and I showed her the article and we decided uh, to start an organization. And, we, and there was a third party that we con um, contacted also and the three of us started the Cellular Phone Task Force in an effort to bring this to the attention of our mayor of New York City and uh, we contacted the mayor's uh, committee on disability and some other mayor, mayoral uh, committees and uh, nobody listened to us and 
and, and the wireless revolution came to New York and um, yeah. it gets even more dramatic. Um, I was up, uh, I started to, to uh, correspond with, with activists all over the country who were working on the same issue. And there was a law conference sponsored by the Vermont Law School at the Killington Ski Resort up in Vermont. Yeah. And I went up there to, to this conference. It was a conference on the, the health and legal implications of the wireless revolution, which was being advertised. They were advertising cell phones for sale, Christmas gifts, and <laughs> this was the beginning. Yeah. And when I came back to New York, um, this was in mid-November, um, November 16th that I came back in uh, 1996 I walked into my apartment and uh, I became dizzy and um, I didn't think anything of it until the next day when it didn't go away and uh, I became nauseous and then uh, I started having weird symptoms in my body my my started feeling like my throat was swollen and, and, and had pressure behind my eyeballs. And oh, jeez. started having pains in, in, in my joints. and um, it, it, it was weird. And by the, by, the fifth, by the sixth day that I was home, uh, actually by the fifth day that I was home, the last three days that I was home, I could not eat and I could not sleep, so I didn't sleep for the last three days. And the, the last night that I laid in bed trying to sleep, my throat closed up. My, my, um, my larynx mm -hmm. went into spasm and I couldn't breathe. And this happened three times during the night. I couldn't take a breath in or out. And I had to scream to force my <laughs> airways to open so I could stay oh, alive. Yeah. And I packed my sleeping bag and I got on the Long Island Railroad and I went out to a park I knew in Long Island and the relief was unbelievable. It's like, wow, yeah. suddenly I feel totally normal. And uh, that was the beginning of my activism that, that summer and that fall. And um, I moved upstate. My, my, I didn't have a car at the time. My nephew lent me his, uh, actually he gave me an old car that he was, uh, he had he had two, and he gave me one of them, and I started driving, and I found uh, town upstate New York, Norwich, New York, that did not yet have any cell towers. Yeah. Um, what had happened was, was the day before I arrived back in New York on the 16th, Omnipoint Communications, which is now called T-Mobile, mm. had gone commercial in New York City. Mm -hmm. They had put 600 cell sites, base stations, on top of apartment buildings. It wasn't yet on lampposts. Oh, they turned them on on uh, the day before I got home. So that, that, that's what had happened. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, so from, from my motel room <laughs> in Norwich, um, oh, I communicated with Pelda in New York and Bonnie, the third person who was helping us. And we put an advertisement in a free 
City weekly newspaper that was uh, in boxes uh, on the sidewalks that you could pick up. And um, we put an ad in that said, if you have been uh, at any of the following symptoms since uh, about November 15th, um, and we listed them, um, headaches, dizziness, nausea, pressure behind the eyes, swollen throat, joint pains, heart palpitations, etc. Um, we want to hear from you. <laughs> and we heard from them. Yeah. Hundreds of people contacted us from all walks of life, um, men and women, rich and poor, um, that suddenly, on a, in the middle of November, had woken up thinking they were having stroke or a heart attack or a nervous breakdown. <sighs> and that was the core, the beginning of the core of what is now a worldwide organization, the, the cellular phone task force that I still head up. Mm -hmm. um, I did not expect to. I um, thought I would do it for a maximum of five years. <laughs> <laughs> Still doing it. <laughs> Still doing it, hey? Well, I mean, yeah, as long as our earth is going to be blanketed in, in this, there's going to be people that are going to be affected by... Everybody's affected. Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, some of us have managed by accident to discover what, what is doing this to us. Yeah. Some of us are stubborn enough to insist that this is what is making us sick, even though... Our doctors say it's not, and our family and friends tell us that it's not. <laughs> and, and so you have to have uh, a certain personality. Definitely. And, and you have to accidentally find out. And that is only a very few percent of the population, but it's really doing this to the whole world. Yeah. Now, why do you think that, um, you know, you're saying like the doctors won't believe you, friends won't believe you, but yet you stumble upon all of this knowledge, you know, in the hospital while you were there. The doctors don't believe you because they weren't taught it, and I wasn't taught it. Yeah. They do not teach this in medical school. It's, it's, it's so strange to me that the books are there, yet no, <laughs> no one's teaching no one's teaching it. Um, it's absolutely wild. And here, you know, you, you found it, and you've, I mean, there's, there's so much, there's so much evidence, and like I said, the way that you've detailed everything in your book and have gone back um i mean it, it's it seems like a like a case like it's case closed on this on this one um you know and now moving through like the different this, times this has been going on for, for several centuries exactly that and back and this is why i wrote my book it's like to, and to, to counter what people tell me well why is electricity suddenly harmful when it was safe all these decades and centuries, and, and, I, and I went back and uh, did some research and discovered, <laughs> no, it was not safe for all these centuries. It has always been harmful. And in fact, when people started experimenting with electricity back in the 18th century, they knew, because nobody had ever been exposed to it before, that it caused dizziness and nausea and joint pains and asthma and all these stuff, and they documented it. Yeah. And, and it's been forgotten. Yeah, and people have people went into denial when they started using it for technological purposes because it was a disconnect. It was like you couldn't have it all around you all the time and still think that it, that it did anything bad. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. It's, it's gone so far back, and no one's teaching it, and it's forgotten. You know, we don't we don't remember our history. We're not paying attention to these things. It's not being taught. But I mean, as far back, 1889, um, that's when there was the, the power line harmonic radiation. That's when it began, yes. That's, yeah. that's when AC electricity started to be um, developed intensely in, in the year 1889. Um, DC had more been used before then for mostly for lights, mm-hmm. for lighting our homes and streets. Yeah. Um, and the knowledge wasn't there in the 19th century to transport DC power over power lines a very long distance. So it was, it was used locally. Yeah. Um, AC could be transported hundreds of miles with very little loss. Mm. So this is why AC started to be used instead of DC. Um, There was actually a a heated debate between um, Edison and Tesla, with Edison maintaining that DC was better and actually safer, he said. And Tesla said, no, no. uh, AC is, is also perfectly safe, and it can be used much more widely. And, and Tesla won the debate, and uh, everybody started stringing AC electric uh, power lines all over the world in, in 1889 very rapidly. And uh, suddenly we had a pandemic of influenza. Mm-hmm. And it was the first major pandemic of in, modern type of, of, of influenza pandemic that the world had ever seen. Actually, it wasn't the first. It was, it was there were sporadically um, large epidemics of influenza, but they came every few years, sometimes every few decades, not usually with the intensity that they came in 1889. And the 1889 pandemic lasted four years. And ever since then, it's been an annual disease that comes every winter, and that never happened before either. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. And and then there there was another. Uh, so that was the beginning of AC. Was the eighteen eighty nine influenza pandemic the the uh, beginning of uh, radio broadcasting happened in nineteen eighteen when the United States entered World War One. And that's been called the Spanish influenza. And then we had um, the Asian flu in 1957 with the beginning of civil defense radar all over the world. And in 1968, with the beginning of military satellites, was the Hong Kong flu. Yeah. Um, What I experienced in New York City, and I did research um, and I used to publish a publication called No Place to Hide, and, and there are several articles in there. Um, is, was what I experienced in New York City, how, how, how bad was it? And how widespread was it, at least in the, in the United States? And indeed, it hit most major cities in the United States, but at different times. And lo and behold, the date when it began in each city coincided with the date that the first 
the digital cell phone provider went commercial in that city. And these influenza, local influenza epidemics lasted a long time. The, the one in New York City officially lasted from mid-November till the following May. Um, and then I, then I went on to the CDC's uh, mortality statistics and discovered that this drove up mortality in each of those cities between 10 and 30 percent mm-hmm. for several months. Um, so this is a taste of, of the kind of thing that's in my book. Yeah, yeah, and it's, and now here we are, you know, with the wireless and then um, HARP, and I understand HARP is, um, they did manage to get funding. I noticed in your book you mentioned that, and I was looking online, and I guess HARP did manage to get funding again to stay active or something. Do you, do you know any updates on that? It was, it was offline mm-hmm. for a year or two. Yeah. Because the Air Force uh, had experimented with it and decided that there was a better way to communicate with submarines. So they let it go, and instead of uh, dismantling it, because scientists still wanted to do research, it was uh, given to the University of Alaska. Yeah. And they are operating it. Mm. They are still operating it. They are still operating it. Uh, uh, one other thing about influenza, I call that, I call influenza acute electrical disease. Acute? Electrical illness. At least that's what I called it in my book. And uh, chronic electrical illness is anxiety disorder, which was used to be called neurasthenia in the 19th century until uh, Sigmund Freud renamed it anxiety neurosis. And um, yeah, and I didn't. I didn't pull this out of the blue. I did a lot of research, and there's a lot. Every single thing that's in my book has been both described and um, studied by previous researchers, but most of it uh, is there for anybody who wants to research it. It's, uh, most of it is peer-reviewed. It's just not being taught, and it's not being acknowledged. Yeah, I know it's it's very it's very 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 extensive. I mean, there's just everything everything is backed up with research, and I mean, you've got everything laid out in there. Someone could, you know, spend hours doing doing further doing further research if they if they wanted to with all the information that you put in there. And another thing too that you listed as well is that um, you mentioned something that there's been. Um, no experimental study proving that influenza is you know either the the, the virus or the um the disease isn't um transmitted um person to person actually there were studies done during the 1918 spanish flu that attempted this was there were doctors in boston that published this in what is now the new england journal of medicine and u.s uh, public health reports and elsewhere they did experiments on hundreds of people um, attempting to prove the contagious nature of influenza, and they failed. Um, they had uh, healthy um, volunteers. Um, they, 
took secretions from, from uh, <laughs> sick influenza patients in hospitals at various stages of the disease, um, secretions from their nose, from, from their throat, and they stuck it in the nose and throat and eyes of healthy individuals and none of them got sick. And then they took blood from, the, from these uh, sick influenza patients and injected it into healthy, 20, another 25 uh, healthy volunteers and none of them got sick. And, they were flabbergasted that they could not show that influenza was transmitted. Huh. Well, isn't that something? <laughs> and, and, my, and my book has, has uh, 139 pages of bibliography for anybody that, that wants to, uh, to delve back into the literature. Yeah, no, there's, there's the bibliography in here is, yeah, it's, it is totally <laughs> comprehensive. Um, so, we're, so here we are now. Um, we're at the stage where it's, it's now 5G. Uh, as far as I know, I believe Starlink is supposed to be activated in September. Uh, Actually, uh, or the rest of it. Probably, yeah. Elon Musk uh, said back in June that it, that it would uh, go commercial in August, but he still hasn't done that. Yeah. So... This is what, so the other thing I, I, w I want to bring to people's attention um, is that I have a chapter on cancer, heart disease, and um, diabetes, one, one chapter on each, and showing that those three major causes of, of morbidity and mortality today are caused in large part by the electromagnetic soup that we live in. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a really eye-opening um, section there. Um, cancer, you know, cancer and the starvation of life here, and updated updated risks and everything that you're showing. Um, I just I just flipped the page right here. I've got the book open. I just happened to flip it as examine it claimed um, examination of medical records of over four hundred twenty thousand Danish cell phone users and non-users over a period of two decades, and you looked at those statistics, and it was very clear to you that something was wrong there with those statistics with those um yeah <laughs> yeah and and i mean same thing too as someone that i work you know i work online i've been doing i've been doing this work for over a decade and you look online you try to find stuff and all of a sudden oh no you're fine and nothing it's inconclusive and da da da, da, da. and you're like okay well i guess i'll just keep using it because <laughs> there's there's nothing really to find out there as far as information on this but it seems as if um obviously in europe they were kind of um you know obviously because i guess they got you know electrified sooner they had more more research done there was more kind of papers to be found out in europe um like in poland recently that's true because the united states stopped doing research on this in, in about 1980 mm. between between 1960 about 1960 and military funded this kind of research. The Army, Navy, and Air Force were funding studies on microwave radiation because they were putting up all these uh, radar stations all over the country for civil defense, and they wanted to know uh, what the effects were and what they could get away with, basically. Yeah. And when they learned what they wanted to know, they, uh, the funding dried up. So mm. essentially, there's been very little research in this country since 1980. Mm. But there's been a lot of research all around the world. It just hasn't been American anymore. Hmm. Hmm. 
Yeah, and I mean, the, the section that you had, even on, on the bees and what just a little bit um, could do to them as far as like glucose levels and how they would react. And, you know, now, now I'm hearing of, you know, like, I, I'm just, I, I, I just, I'm so distraught over our bee population, Arthur. And I mean that those are those are the you know their key our key to life on this planet. And now you know talking with um, Bill Gates is talking about wanting to put up that powder or whatever to block out the sun and the effects on that. Like what? Um, what are your thoughts on that? On the geoengineering. Yeah. Yeah. That is still in the planning stages. Um, it's controversial. It could have a lot of very bad consequences for the planet. Um, nobody's doing it yet. There, there have been a, a one or two experimental flights where where they release some um, clouds of, of, I think it's sulfates in, in a very limited area of the stratosphere, just for experimental purposes, but this is not being done on any widespread um, basis, and if somebody tried to do it, um, it, there would be a discussion in the United Nations because this affects everybody. uh, Yeah. Unlike electromagnetic fields, which nobody agrees that affects everybody. So people are doing that without a thought. Yeah. And that's what scares me, <laughs> um, because they don't—they don't want to admit um, there's a problem with this. Yet they're already kind of, you know, jumping on to the next thing, you know. And there is um, the part that you uh, talked about it is like a, a waggle dance, and um, the bees depend. Bees, yeah. yeah, and it's, um, and it, I guess it depends on like the sunlight and the, with, res- with respect to the sun and knowing the position of the sun and even on the cloudy cloudy days and everything and so I, in my head i was like well what are they what's going to happen to the bees when they start you know trying to block out the sun is that going to affect the bees too and and stuff so i mean That's y- something that i hadn't even thought of but yeah it, it might uh, and i hope they don't do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, yeah the smoking gun study, as I call it, uh, on bees was the one that, that, that you briefly mentioned about the levels of glucose in their, in their blood, their hemolymph. Mm-hmm. Um, These researchers in India exposed uh, honeybees to a cell phone, and after just 10 minutes, the levels of glucose levels of sugars, proteins, and fats in their hemolymph skyrocketed, which told them that 10 minutes of exposure to a cell phone basically shut down their metabolism. Yeah. And um, to me, this says it. It's, you, you start irradiating the planet, the, the smallest creatures with the highest rates of metabolism are going to die of starvation because they can't digest their food anymore. Yeah. This is this is what is happening to the whole planet. But, uh, slower or faster, it's happening to all of us. Yeah, it it really is. Like you said, there it's a, the canary in the in the coal mine, as far as you know what's what's to what's to be expected for for the rest of us here. Even though, and it, and it really to me, I find it funny because 
you know, we're electromagnetic beings, you know, we, everything in this earth, we're connected. And, you know, with the, the birds, uh, the, the butterflies and, um, you know, dolphins, you know, all, all go on, you know, they follow these invisible the patterns and that we can't see that we're not aware of, or, you know, there, there's heat waves and we can't necessarily see them. But even though it's, there, even though we can't see them, you know, it's be ignorant to think that we're not affected um, by them as well, or we're not tuned in, in in the same way that the rest of nature is as well, that we are not separate from the earth. We are a part of the earth. Right. So, so the bottom line is, um, it's got to stop. Yeah, it really... And um, people have to... A, realize what is happening. It, it, it's, it's, I, I compare it to a fish in the ocean. They, they don't know that they're swimming in water. They don't know that the water is there because they're always in it. And it's like, we're always in this electromagnetic soup. And we don't know what it's like to not, for it not to be there. And we don't even recognize that we're in it. Mm-hmm. And the devices that we have been told and that we have become dependent on our, our cell phones and our Wi-Fi and the average household now has something like 25 different wireless devices in it. Um, this is killing us and it's killing our planet and it's got to stop and it can begin with us. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't begin with us, it's not going to stop. Um, we have people activists, there, there is an international organization called um, Stop 5G International, and they have a website, stop5gintl.org, um, and, and they do periodic uh, protest days internationally throughout the world. Oh. Um, there are lawsuits going on, and I am in the middle of one of them. We're about to bring a lawsuit uh, United States Supreme Court because we just lost in the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, there, there is a law. Everybody knows has heard of the Telecommunications Act of 1996. There, there is a sex. There is a paragraph in that law that says that cities and states. It says states and local governments may not regulate cell towers on the basis of health. Basically, what it says. Huh. That has absolved the telecommunications companies of any liability for putting up cell towers. Because if you go to court and say, I've been injured by this antenna outside my bedroom window, the court is not allowed to hear your case because they are an arm of your state. They're, They're part of state government. And this 1996 law says that they're not even allowed to hear your case. Oh, jeez. So this is why, Ugh. that's why it was put in that in that law, and this is why we're before the Supreme Court right now. We, we have to file in the Supreme Court by October 27th. Oh, my gosh. There are lawsuits going on. There are protests going on. There, there, people are trying to, to, to rouse public awareness in various ways. Um, and people have to start throwing away their cell phones. <laughs> Yes. Until that happens, the 
demand will not will not stop. And if the demand does, does not stop, the infrastructure will keep on going up, and the satellites will keep on going up, and we're not going to have a planet to live on for very much longer. And mm. this is this is what I'm about to say. Yeah, you know, and even like what it, the damage what it does to the soil, uh, and everything in Germany um, that you detailed in the book was just absolutely mind blowing. Um, what it does to the soil as well. Yes, yeah, it, it acidifies the soil, and this this has been blamed on acid rain, but it happens even in pristine environments where there is no acid rain. <sighs> you know, and. With the FCC and talking about that and everything, and there's um, another gentleman that you um, talked about in the book, and he made this uh, comment about there's you know there's other forces that don't want don't want this to come out, and you know even going for a, a motorcycle ride <laughs> and, and having you know a near death experience. Do you believe? Do you are, are at times? Do you feel that the there's um, there are these there are these forces out there that are that are making it harder uh, for for your work to be for your work to be heard or for the truth to come out. Well, yeah, um, there is that. There, there, there is also universal denial. Mm -hmm. um, everybody uses cell phones now. Yeah. Um, the, the telecommunications industry, all, all telecommunications industry officials, the people that are rolling this out, they're, they're dependent on cell phones. The, the military, the government, everybody that, that, is, that, that is putting up uh, more and more powerful radar stations all over, all over the world. Everybody that's doing it is dependent on this technology and they don't really think it's harmful. Yeah. There were, I mean, part of it is our economic system. Yeah. Under communism, the Soviet Union had much stricter radio frequency exposure standards than we did. And, and in fact, that is still true. Hmm. Um, but, and the strictest in the world, I think, is in Poland. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But with the fall of, of the the Iron Curtain at, at the end of the Cold War and the entrance of capitalism into that part of the world, all the telecommunication companies went over there as well and they started selling cell phones to the whole uh, population. And those standards are basically not being enforced. And the people that did all the research that... that uh, that led to the development of the strictest standards. They're dead and gone, and the new generation has grown up, and they, they don't really know it. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's denial, it's, it's, it's economics. The telecommunications industry has grown up to be the mover and shaker of the world economy. It, it rivals the, the fossil fuel industry. It, it's probably a $20 trillion industry today. Yeah. And it's hard to shake. It, it's not that there's some uh, deep state that is pulling the strings that is trying to do this to us. No, everybody's dependent on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and looking ahead to the future, I mean, they're already, I noticed in your um, newsletter that you have, they're already on to the next. Like, there's talks for 6G now and everything. 
is that it will keep on being diagnosed as, as COVID-19. <laughs> and this is what I'm afraid of, is no, that no matter that, that we have more and more and more radiation that's causing more and more symptoms and more and more morbidity and mortality, and it's all being blamed on the virus. Yeah. And there's 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 other factors to to weigh here, and how can we weigh them if we've been you know turning our our eyes away from them or being ignorant to you know the the knowledge that's there or unaware of um, how this is actually affecting us at a cellular level. And, and what's being called long long haul COVID, mm-hmm. the symptoms of that are very similar to what historically was published about radio wave sickness in the old Soviet Union. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Wow. Hmm. Well, Arthur, (laughs) that's a lot to take in. Um, Wow. Well, do you have any, before we wrap this up, I know you've got a lot um, on your plate here, and I don't want to take up uh, all of your precious time, although I could probably chat uh, with you for hours about this. (laughs) Um... Uh, do you do you have any do you have any tips or anything that you relate related people from your from your own or any precautions that you do based on you know your own uh, lifestyle that you've adopted? Um, I, I've chosen to practice avoidance. Just straight up avoidance. <laughs> uh, um, do not use any wireless technology ever. I don't use Wi-Fi. I get online. Mm-hmm. Um, cable only. Yeah. And I never use it. I I have never touched a cell phone. Okay. Um, and I live in an area of Santa Fe where the radiation is relatively lower than other places. Um, and I live in an adobe house, and the earthen walls block the radiation. So, um, and I'm healthy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> here. So. Um, yeah. Um, do you do? I'm 71 years old. I'm, I'm healthier and stronger than uh, a lot of other people my age. I take no medications. Very cool. And that was something, you know, that uh, there was a, a PhD. I just want to quickly say here, there's a PhD that I follow on Twitter that was sharing um, some of your work as well. And he was talking about how the Amish have had basically zero problems um, with COVID because of the fact that they do not adopt um, electricity. And um, right. yeah, and he was sharing some of some of your work, uh, Ray Armat, and uh, really really interesting as well. So your your work's getting out there <laughs> for sure. Slowly, yes. Yeah, so, slowly for sure, but it's getting out there. But yeah, definitely. It's been translated into a number of languages: French, German, Italian, Spanish, uh, Korean. It's being translated into Russian and Japanese. So it's getting out into the rest of the world as well. Good, good. More people, more people need to wake up, and I hope this um, definitely helps. Um, my, my my main message is support our loss. Oh, go on to. Uh, I'll, I'll give you my website. Okay. It's uh, cellphonetaskforce.org is our organization, the Cellular Phone Task Force. Five G Space Appeal. .org is the international appeal to stop 5G on Earth and in space. Okay. And uh, we need all the support we can get, both especially in our, our present litigation. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to subscribe to my newsletters, um, also cellphonetaskforce.org slash newsletters. And the main thing that I ask of people is to start weaning yourself off of wireless technology um, and spread the word that you're doing that and why. And if, if this snowballs, we can start a, a consumer revolt and we can slow down the demand for this stuff. And what is really at stake is the future of life on this planet, that this is a more urgent threat even than climate change. Climate change is a more permanent threat that, that the, the CO2 that we're putting into the air from burning fossil fuels, that's not going to go away for hundreds of years. If we turn off all of the sources of radiation, that radiation stops instantly. Mm-hmm. And the Earth can recover. Mm-hmm. And she recovers fast. The, the planet faster. Yeah. Than climate change. Yeah. So it's really important stop using this stuff that's my main message right now yeah uh well thank you so much arthur for your time and your work and all that you have done to bring this knowledge to the surface um you know if as much as um you know the damage that's done and what's being done i i think too like if if you haven't if you didn't go through your situation and and write this book um you know we we wouldn't have this valuable knowledge to share who would have spearheaded this so I want to thank you for all of your brave efforts and all of your work that you've done over the years, uh, Arthur. Thank you, Mindy. Thank you so much, and thank you for the time for this interview. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable. If you believe you're unfuckwithable, go ahead and share this podcast. podcast.